Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. Think of a world filled with poverty and think of a world filled with broken-hearted people and think of a world filled with people who are bound up and held captive to sin and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. I mean, that is the world that we live in. And Jesus was sent by the Lord to proclaim good tidings. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study through the books of the Old Testament prophets. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Isaiah chapter 60 through 62. Now here's Pastor Brian. So Isaiah chapter 60, that's where we are picking up in chapter 60. And boy, you know, Isaiah is well, 66 chapters. It is, you know, apart from the Psalms, it is really the longest book in the Bible. And so it's almost hard to remember when we began and, you know, to try to follow all the way through. And hopefully we have some continuity in our minds as to, you know, kind of the storyline of Isaiah. But we're coming now to the final chapters, picking up in 60. But Once again, just let me remind you the different components that make up Isaiah. And there's the the huge messianic element. We've talked about that. We've seen those those amazing, wonderful messianic prophecies that we've looked at from, you know, back in chapter 7, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. You shall call his name Emmanuel to chapter 9. For unto us a child is born, a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulders. Chapter 11 talking about the millennial reign of this descendant of Jesse and David. And then you got similar things as you go a bit further. Chapter 28, you have the reference to Jesus being the the stone, the rock of our salvation there. Again, chapter 35, you have the messianic kingdom that's referred to. And then when you get into the 40s, you know, chapter 42, behold my servant, the one in whom my soul delights. And you have that beautiful description there of the Lord in chapter 42. And then uh, a bit further on in chapter 49, you have those amazing prophecies that we looked at there about some aspects of the suffering of the Messiah, chapter 50, talking about his beard being plucked and is, you know, being spit upon. And then, of course, chapter 53, kind of the, the pinnacle of all of those, at least from the standpoint of the suffering servant. And then as we've gone on, we've seen now more and more about the, the work of the Messiah, what he accomplishes. And so in the chapters that we're getting into, a lot of it is, again, talking about the, the ultimate result the Messiah's work, and that would be the restoration of the nation of Israel, which is an event that is yet in the future. And of course, it it's connected to the coming again of Christ. So Christ will come again, and he will set up his kingdom in a renewed Jerusalem. 
And so that's kind of where we begin in chapter 60. So it says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. So this is speaking to Israel and and really specifically to Jerusalem here. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth and deep darkness the people, but the Lord will arise over you and his glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. So in in the midst of all of the darkness that will come upon the earth in the future, when we go into that period of time known as the Great Tribulation period, this again will culminate with the Lord's return and, and Israel and Jerusalem being honored and having that evident presence of God upon them. And so lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your son shall come from afar and your daughters shall be nursed at your side. Then you shall see and become radiant and your heart shall swell with joy because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the Gentiles shall come to you The multitude of camels shall cover your land, the dromedaries of Midian and Ephah. All those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and incense, and they shall proclaim the praise of the Lord. So simply stated, when the Lord restores the fortunes of Jerusalem, the wealth of the nations will be brought into Jerusalem. And so the reference to the camels, the dromedaries are a reference to the camels. And, and the areas here, Sheba, Midian, these are, these are the surrounding areas. It goes on, all the flocks of Kedar shall be gathered together to you. The rams of Nebioth shall minister to you. They shall ascend with acceptance on my altar and I will glorify the house of my glory. So just Kedar, Nebioth, Sheba, these are all the areas of the Arabian Peninsula. And so that whole region, Midian was a little bit north of that, but it's it's basically just talking about uh, the riches and the wealth of those nations all flowing into Jerusalem because of the Lord. And so who are these who fly like a cloud And like doves to their roost, surely the coastlands shall wait for me. And the ships of Tarshish will come first to bring your sons from afar, their silver and their gold with them to the name of the Lord your God and to the Holy One of Israel because he has glorified you. So Tarshish, the distant land and the descendants of of Israel the Israelites will be brought back into their land. The sons of foreigners shall build up your walls and their kings shall minister to you. For in my wrath, I struck you, but in my favor, I have had mercy on you. Therefore, your gates shall be open continually. They shall not be shut day or night that men may bring to you the wealth of the Gentiles and their kings in procession. For the nation and kingdom, which will not serve you shall perish and those nations shall be utterly ruined. And so the prophets talk about this time. And as I read that there, I'm thinking of Zechariah, where at the very end of Zechariah, it talks about actually the Feast of Tabernacles being held annually from Jerusalem and the nations coming up to Jerusalem to celebrate. 
But then it it warns those who refuse to come that their land is going to fall under a famine or under a drought. And but that that does show us that there's there's this period of time where Christ is reigning, but there's still a possibility of a disobedience to him. And you know, I, I bring that up because in the realm of theology, you have you have different ideas about what the future looks like in regard to the return of Christ. And we, and I'm speaking collectively of myself and the Calvary Chapel pastors, we hold to what is known as a premillennial view, which means that we believe that Christ will come and he will set up a 1,000-year kingdom. So he will come before it, pre Millennium is 1,000 years. He will come and he will set up this 1,000-year reign and he will rule over the nations from the literal city of Jerusalem. He will rule them with a rod of iron, which means there will be an enforced obedience to some extent. Now, a different theological perspective on the return of Christ would be something that you would find in what's called amillennialism or amillennialism, depends on you're British, you say A. If you're American, you say A. But that means no millennium. And, and so the idea there is that there's not actually a thousand-year reign of Christ that's at some point disrupted briefly. But when Christ returns, it's just going to be an eternal reign is going to begin then. And, you know, many good Christian scholars believe that. I just happen to think that the millennial view, the premillennial view is better because it helps us understand some of these kinds of things. If it's just an eternal reign without any further resistance, why is he ruling with a rod of iron? A rod of iron actually indicates that there is some need for correction or some need for discipline. And if we think about the eternal state, I don't know that anybody thinks that there's going to be a problem with rebellion or sin or anything like that in the eternal state. So anyway, that's just a bit of a theological side note there. So this is talking about the return of Christ and his reign, as we've said. So the glory of Lebanon shall come to you, the cypress, the pine, the box tree, to beautify the place of my sanctuary. So Lebanon um, historically has been a place that was very well known in the ancient world for its forest and, you know, amazing forest. And, and when the temple was built, Maybe you remember way back when we were studying some of those things, Solomon brought timber from Lebanon. He made an agreement with the king and those large timbers that they would use in the building of the temple were actually rafted down on the Mediterranean from Lebanon down to Joppa. And so that's here just the reference. Again, those cypress and pine and elm and box trees, they're going to be used to beautify the sanctuary, the temple that will exist then at that time. And I will make the place of my feet glorious. And so the Lord is speaking. And so also the sons of those who afflicted you shall come bowing to you. And those who despised you shall fall prostrate at the soles of your feet 
and they shall call you the city of the Lord, Zion, the Holy One of Israel. And so God's going to glorify Jerusalem. And of course, the people in it are included. Whereas you have been forsaken and hated so that no one went through you, I will make you an eternal excellence, a joy of many generations. You shall drink the milk of the Gentiles and milk the breast of kings. You shall know that I, the Lord, am your Savior and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. And so Jerusalem has been, as perhaps you know, has been a city that has been conquered and destroyed several times over. There have been periods of time in the history of the city where it was almost a situation where it was unlivable. And so the reference there, forsaken and hated, and and that's how it has been. And uh, not even that long ago, now currently it's a different situation, but I think there's strong reason to believe that during the tribulation, Jerusalem will once again be a city that is decimated, at least maybe not entirely, but certainly to a large degree. But the Lord is going to come. And just notice this in verse 16. You shall know that I, the Lord, am your Savior. And and I think here what we have now, remember that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And remember that it was the second person of the Trinity who came into the world as a Jewish man, as the, the Savior of Israel. But he's nevertheless the Lord. He's Yahweh. But the people have never recognized him. So today in Israel, you have a bunch of people in Israel today who worship Yahweh. I mean, they are devout, religious, orthodox, some cases ultra-orthodox Jews who they, they worship Yahweh. They don't, they don't have any doubt about Yahweh being their Savior. But when it says here, you shall know that I, Yahweh, am your Savior and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob, what's going to happen in the future is that Israel is going to realize that Yahweh and Jesus are the same person. And so they will then recognize that the one who came to them so many centuries ago and was rejected by them and remains rejected by them to this day is actually their God and their savior. They will know in that day. And so instead of bronze, he says, I will bring gold instead of iron. I will bring silver instead of wood, bronze instead of stone, iron. I will also make your officers peace and your magistrates righteousness. Violence shall no longer be heard in your land, neither wasting nor destruction within the borders, but you shall call your walls salvation and your gates praise. Hallelujah. What a great, what a great, great day that is going to be. But that's what's going to happen when the Lord returns. And so the sun shall no longer be your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give you light, but the Lord will be to you an everlasting light and your God, your glory. Your sun shall no longer go down, uh, nor shall your moon withdraw itself, for the Lord will be your everlasting light. And This is just a reminder of the book of Revelation itself that tells us that in the new Jerusalem, there will be no need for the sun because the Lord God and the Lamb are the light of it. Remember in Acts chapter 9 when 
Saul of Tarsus is on his way to Damascus to arrest anyone who calls on the name of the Lord to take them back to Jerusalem for trial. And it says that as he was on his way to Damascus at about midday, there was a light that was brighter than the sun. And from that light, a voice spoke and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He said, who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus whom you persecute. A light shining brighter than the sun. And so here, the Lord will be everlasting light. And the days of your mourning shall be ended. Also, your people shall be righteous. They shall inherit the land forever the branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I may be glorified. A little one shall become a thousand, a small one, a strong nation. I, the Lord, will hasten it in its time. Now, chapter 61, here we go again, another great messianic passage. And so the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. This passage you will find in Luke chapter four. And in Luke chapter four, we have the account of Jesus going into the synagogue in Nazareth, where he grew up. And there in the synagogue on the Sabbath day, he was called upon to do the reading for the day. And when they opened the the scroll, it was open to this place right here. Now, the Jews for centuries and centuries and centuries have had a, a liturgy that included a Sabbath reading. So every Sabbath day to this very day, the Jews have a specific text that they read. And, you know, they've broken down the biblical text and they've, it's like an annual, a reading for each Sabbath day of the year. So on this particular Sabbath day, this is the scripture reading. And Jesus stands and he reads this passage And then he rolls the scroll back up and he says this. He says, today, this word is fulfilled in your hearing. And we read there that everyone looked at him and it says that they marveled at the gracious words that came out of his mouth. But then they said, what? What what is he saying? Isn't this... Uh, the son of the carpenter? Isn't this the son of Mary? How is it that he's, what is he doing? What is he saying? Well, what was he saying? He was saying that he was the fulfillment of Isaiah 61. This day, this word is fulfilled in your hearing. And indeed, he was the fulfillment of that. But what we have here is a beautiful picture of the work of the Messiah, the the ministry of the Messiah, the mission, if you will, of the Messiah. This is what he came to do. And let's just walk through it. Well, first of all, he says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. So the spirit of the Lord is upon me 
because the Lord has anointed me. So remember, the, the, the word anointed is the same word as Messiah. So the Lord has commissioned him to be the, the Messiah, the, the one upon whom God's spirit rests. And what is the mission? To preach good tidings to the poor. To preach good tidings to the poor. You know, God's heart all the way through the Bible is revealed for the poor. God has a special place in his heart for the poor. And Jesus came to preach good tidings to the poor. Now, this isn't just the poor materially, although it certainly is referring to that, but it's referring to the person who is poor in the sense that they recognize that they are in deep spiritual need. Jesus came to preach good tidings to the poor. He sent me, the Lord sent him, to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. You know, when you think about these these things, they're so powerful. I mean, think of a world filled with poverty and think of a world filled with brokenhearted people and think of a world filled with people who are bound up and held captive to sin and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. I mean, that is the world that we live in. And Jesus was sent by the Lord to proclaim good tidings. And and this is the message that Jesus brought And this is the message that we bring as well. Years ago, a friend of mine who I had at that time probably shared the gospel with for, oh, I don't know, 10 or 15 years. And every now and again, you know, once a year, maybe once every two years, I would just get a random phone call from him. And I'll never forget this phone call one night. He called me and he asked me this question. He said, what does the Bible have to say for a person with a broken heart? And I said, well, let me tell you what the Bible has to say. And I just went right straight to this passage. Jesus came to heal the brokenhearted. So I had this conversation with him. It lasted about an hour. And, um, you know, that was it. Didn't hear from him again for few years. And then about, I don't know, 10 years later, had, you know, rare contact with him over the 10 years. Suddenly, our lives came together again through some really bizarre circumstances. And to make a long story short, it was then that he finally opened his heart to receive Christ. And today he's walking with Jesus. He loves the Lord. God's done a beautiful work in his family. It's amazing. And now let's join Pastor Brian in the studio as he shares about this month's resource on Back to Basics. Forgiveness is such an important topic. We live in a world where there's little forgiveness today 
Forgiveness, of course, is something that we need to experience amongst ourselves as people. But, of course, the bigger issue is in our relationship with God. How do we obtain forgiveness? Timothy Keller has written an extraordinary book on the subject of forgiveness called Forgive, Why Should I, and How Can I? Unforgiveness can actually ruin a person's life. And this great book is so helpful in showing us how God has forgiven us and teaching us how we can forgive one another. So that's Timothy Keller, Forgive, Why Should I, and How Can I? Again, this month's resource is a book titled 15 New Testament Words of Life, A New Testament Theology for Real Life by Dr. Nijay Gupta. You can order the book 15 New Testament Words of Life by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it and then click on the donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book Forgive, Why Should I and How Can I by Timothy Keller. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Isaiah. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.